Ronananian. It's hard to get to, and if it's in the worst possible place to be repaired, that's probably what's wrong because that's how Murphy's Law always works, and someday I'm going to catch up to Murphy. The Car Doctor. It would be ideal if you could find a repair shop that has an exchanger, but if you're going to do this yourself, it's going to be drain the radiator, pull hoses off of it, try and get as much coolant out of it as possible. But keep in mind, without a coolant exchanger, you're never going to get everything out of the engine block. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. You know it's going to be a really great week at the shop when Monday morning, 822, you've already got the repair of the week set for the weekend radio show. Hello and welcome. Ron Nanny and the Car Doctor rolling along here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and solve your problems because that's what the Car Doctor does. I'm here to answer your car questions and help you with your car problem because I just got done doing a five-day stint this week at RA Automotive. I'll be there next week, and I'll be there for every week thereafter as long as the good Lord is willing because I have to be because judging by what came in the door this week, Monday at 822 a.m., there's not many left, and I hate the way that sounds, but it's just the way I feel at this moment because of the emotion behind this repair. 2003 Dodge Durango rolled in. The engine had failed. It had failed back in May of this year, and it took the repair shop five and a half months to get the pieces all back together. It was like the, all the king's horses and all the king's men trying to put Humpty Dumpty together again. Turns out that... Part of what I had to do this Monday morning and for all this week was look over the previous repair. What did that repair shop do or not do? In which case, it's pretty easy because sometimes they just don't do a lot. In this case, they actually did get it back together. I gave them that much credit. And most of the parts were there, and they were all pretty tight. There wasn't a few things falling off, but not terrible. Of course, the ground strap that was supposed to go from the firewall to the back of the engine block that somehow fell down between the engine and the transmission was sticking out through the dust shield in the trans cover, rubbing up against the flywheel as the engine ran. Yeah, that's kind of not in the right place, and I'm going to have to do something with that because at some point that ground strap pinched between the engine block and the trans may affect front pump life of the transmission depending upon how accurate you want to be. And let's face it, we're trying to be accurate. But the part that got me was they focused on doing the engine that it needed, that it imploded, and they missed everything else. It needed brakes. It had a check engine light on. It had an airbag light on. It needed, so far, is about $6,000 worth of work. But their focus was, hey, we, we're going to do the engine because the engine's the only thing that's blown up at this point, and that's really what we need to do. And that's really what gets me. And then they can't even do that right. They do it so bad, it takes five and a half months, and they develop a customer that will never go back there and put another stink on a business that, well, it sort of smells like New Jersey at low tide, and I can say that. I live in New Jersey. I'm really surprised 
at what's in this industry. You, you think it's getting better, and then you see a vehicle like this, and you say, why? Before I went on the air today, my daughter, the grad school student, called, and she was telling me this story about she was in CVS last night, and the cashier at CVS was just in a talkative mood, she said, and he just somehow seemed to pour his life story out to me. I'm not sure why, Dad. And I said, well, I think that's because it's that you're in grad school and you've got that look of somebody who listens because you're going into family and marital counseling. You know, you're going to be a you're going to be a, a, a psychiatrist, a physiatrist, or a psychologist, one of the two. And um, you're going to have that ability to listen to people, and you kind of have that look on your face. And she said, you know, Dad, he told me this story about how happy he was to be a cashier here at CVS because his previous job, he'd been an auto mechanic. And he was really proud of the fact that he was the worst auto mechanic he ever knew. He put brake pads on wrong. He didn't tighten wheels. Tires fell off cars. Oils, oil leaked after he changed the oil. And he said, it took a while, but finally the BMW dealership fired me. And I'm thinking two things here. How long does it take for a BMW dealer to fire somebody that's obviously inept? And then why is CVS putting this guy in charge of counting money and talking to people as the face of the business? doesn't make any sense to me. But the point is, this isn't a business where you can really be proud that you're an idiot, that you don't do your job right, because this business risks people's lives every day. If you don't fix that car properly, somebody could die. A wheel could fall off. Brakes could fail. Problems do exist, not to mention the damage to the industry of everybody else out there that's really hardworking and trying to do their job and make a living. And then every once in a while, and it seems like it's more often than not lately, somebody comes along to stink the place up. The problem with the repair shop that took five months to put this car back together with most of its parts is there because... They're not committed to keeping up. They're what I call part-timers. They're working full-time, but they're part-time efforts in the industry. The majority of people in this industry are full-timers. They're the ones that they're working at 24-7 because there's so much information out there. They've got to do it 24-7. I went to the deli this morning. and uh, Not that deli. I went to a different deli. Actually, this was yesterday morning. Stopped and I picked up coffee for the for the boys and uh, some some sandwiches. And um, we were talking about something. And new new guy on the counter, and he, he heard, oh, yeah, you're an auto mechanic. Yeah. He goes, good business. You can make a lot of money. And I said, really? You think so? He goes, oh, sure. He goes, repair shops are just money machines. And I sat there and I said, yeah, but think of the dedication involved. He goes, why? What dedication is there? And... You know, that's part of the problem. And I'll say it like this, like I've always said it for so many years, whether I was on radio or not. Auto repair is a very exacting task. You know, you've got to hit that little white ball 10 out of 10 times. Nobody pays a baseball or nobody pays an auto mechanic to be a 300 hitter like they do in baseball. And that's something really you have to think about. In the case of this Dodge Durango, they didn't even get up the plate, and when they did, they finally struck out. They got a foul tip. They got the car out of the shop. But they took so long to work on the car, the customer will never go back. And they shot themselves in the foot by missing the other repair work the vehicle needed, brakes, tires. 
a fuel tank because of the check engine light that was on, an airbag light that I've yet to diagnose. I didn't get that far yet. I, I spent two-thirds of my week on this truck. I'm kind of working through it. It's my restoration. And in the end, whoever's running that business that did the engine, well, they kind of shot themselves. They, you know, because I got to tell you, I get up and go to work every day to make a living. I don't go there to practice. I don't go there to, to, to fool around. It's, it's a job to me. It's a career. And I don't think anybody listening to this broadcast that has to work for a living does the same. I think everybody out there is working hard trying to make it work. And um, sometimes <laughs> you just look and you say, why? And the scary part to me is we let these people vote and reproduce. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor here to answer any of your questions that you might have regarding your automobile. The website for this radio show is cardoctorshow.com. There's more information there via TuneIn and iHeart.com. You can download podcasts, iHeart and iTunes as well. And if you need me during the week, I'm Ron at Car Doctor Show. Coming up down around the bottom of the hour, a little bit of a surprise. We're going to talk too well. I don't want to give too much away. Let's just say... If you like frozen dessert treats, you want to stick around for the 2.30 or the, the down at the bottom of the hour interview because we're going to talk to a gentleman, something a little bit different for the car doctor. In our second hour, we're going to be talking to the folks from All Data, I believe, today. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's new out there in the information world. We are giving away a $50 gift card to O'Reilly Auto Parts this week. So when you're thinking about car maintenance and repairs, think about the folks from O'Reilly Auto Parts. We're going to be giving away a $50 gift card. That's coming out of the gift closet. Decision of the judge, Fast Harry, is final as we uh, entertain your calls this week. So give us a call at 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. I'm back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anini and the Car Doctor here. Let's kick open the garage doors and doors and welcome back Bob Phillipsburg, New Jersey. Robert, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. Welcome back to the Car Doctor. Yes, How's good been? afternoon. How are you? Uh, What's going on? Cut. This uh, Audi A3, the 3.2 VR6, I got a uh, check engine light. Okay. And uh, it's a uh, P0068. And uh, uh, this week I'm going to have it looked at, though. But uh, they talk about possible dirty throttle body. A uh, mass airflow sensor, if you could clean it, and vacuum leaks and stuff. Now, how would what would be your approach on how? Well, to... you know, I would obviously, yeah. What they're what the concern here is, we're seeing a problem um, with the throttle position is out of kilter, so to speak, right. in relation to it's it's flowing more air than they expect it to based on the angle of the throttle plate. So, you know, you're, you're going to look at fuel trim. You're going to look for vacuum leaks. You're going to go do a basic, yeah, throttle body cleaning and um, try to do some resets and adjustments as a starting point. Not a common failure, Bob. It hasn't come across my plate all that much. I've seen one or two cases of it actually on Volkswagens more than Audis um, in the Volkswagen version of that fault. But, uh-huh. um, you know, you got to let them do their thing. They're not, they're not lying to you. It doesn't sound like they're handing you any baloney at this point. Yeah, now what about cleaning the uh, mass airflow sensor? They have a, uh, 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 a, a certain type of chemical that you can use on that. Does that hurt them? No, and it depends on the chemical. And it also, and listen, the way I approach mass airflow sensor cleaning is I get to that part of the diagnosis. I just, I just don't do it at random because I don't like to 
um, what's the word I'm looking for, ingest chemicals into a vehicle unless I really have to. Right. Okay, so when I get to that point where, as part of the diagnosis, I've said that, yeah, this points towards mass airflow sensor, this points towards it as a possible fault, then I explain to somebody and say, hey, Bob, um, listen, we're at that 70, 80 percentile where we've got a mass airflow fault. I can buy a new one, which I'm guessing for this car is a few is, is a few cocos. Um, I'm sure they're not cheap. Or I can right. try cleaning it, and I will try to get customer approval beforehand. And, you know, tell them, listen, it's five six hundred dollars for a mass airflow, or we can try cleaning it for seventy five, whatever it is. And in which case, if it works, fine. If it doesn't, we're going to buy a mass airflow anyway, just mm-hmm. just to see what sort of reaction we get. Mass airflow sensor cleaning is a case by case basis, in my eyes. I don't just blindly do it. Because there's a lot of delicate electronics inside of a mass airflow sensor. Does the car does the car idle any higher than normal, Bob? No, not really. In fact, it doesn't. The only thing that it seems to do is when you first start it up, there's a little bit of a a shake. But when this thing idles, I got to look at the tack to see if it's still running. Right. Right. But uh, now, when you have the throttle body, do you physically take it off the car and clean it? It would be nice if you could. Uh, yeah, see, I see, mean, it's, it's right there. Because it's, I mean, it's right the there. It's the proper way to do it. You, it depends. Again, it depends on the car. On that car, yeah, I probably would because it's easier to get behind. You can turn it upside down. It's easier to hold it in. And right. the, the thing I like about doing off-car throttle body cleaning, uh-huh. if, if I can deal with that, if I can get to it easy enough, is I, I can be – I don't have to let the car ingest, again, I'm using that word, a lot of chemicals. Uh, right. You know, it's funny. I'll be in another shop, and I'll watch somebody clean a throttle body. And I think the techs, some of the techs think that the more cans they use, the cleaner it must get. Uh, Where you can be just as effective. We actually have wooden-handled long Q-tips in the shop uh, where we'll give a little bit of a spritz, a technical term, spritz. Right. And just gently wipe it out, not trying to get it wild and all over the place. Because the other concern becomes with throttle body cleaners, even though they say they're rated safe, you get it into the throttle body too much, the O-ring seals that are on the ends of the shaft over time can be affected. So here's a case where less is better, and, and sometimes enough, too much is not good enough. Well, you have this on your uh, maintenance schedule, I see, throttle body cleaning. Sure, absolutely. Sure. All cars get a throttle body cleaning as part of normal maintenance. Um, It's it's throttle body, you know, throttle bodies being dirty are are a result of the type of fuel. Um, Sometimes it has to do with the extended oil change intervals that we're pushing cars through. Mm -hmm. It it also has to do with the design of the cars. Because you got all the blood by gas is going through there. Right. And the other thing to be aware of is we still have the we still have problems with carbon deposits in cars today, and that's you know it seems like carbon deposits and throttle body cleaning go hand in hand. Right. And you know we've got to be mindful of that. That's why it's so important to clean fuel systems today. Right. And do fuel system cleaning. So you know, just saying, it's all it's all part of the process. Let them go through their thing. You know, I would think they're going to dedicate an hour to it. Do some basic diagnosis, maybe clean the throttle body. When they do clean the throttle body, they are going to have to do an, a throttle body or an idle relearn reset. Yeah. And, um, you know, we'll go from there. Yeah, they're, they're using the Ross Tech, and which I want to eventually get when I get my laptop up and running. And that thing is awesome, that program. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've got that in the shop as well. It's a, uh, uh, 
That is a that is a great tool. Yeah. So well, I'm going to learn something. Well, yep, that's right. And you know what, Bob? You're never too old to learn in this business. You're exactly. always you're you're always <laughs> uh, you know you're always learning something. Um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's just part of the process. So, you know, and keep in mind too, that, um, you know, you can have problems with an intake manifold gasket on that. You can have, um, you know, a couple of things, let them do their diagnosis and and, and see where it goes. Yeah. They just got a smoke machine. So I'm going to get to see one work and I can't wait. Right. Cool beans. Yeah. All right, Bob, you take good care of yourself and have a good rest of the afternoon. You too. Thank you, Ron. You're very welcome. Um, yeah, it's, you know, step-by-step diagnosis. That's uh, that's really the case. That's really what we're looking for. I want to talk about an email before we uh, take the pause down around the bottom. And um, it, it's, it's, a good, it's a good conversation to have with all of you. This comes to us from Doug. Doug wrote me an email this week. Hey, Ron, my girlfriend has a 2012 Hyundai Elantra a couple of months ago. She was at a dead stop getting to make a turn when she was rear-ended by a car going approximately 30 miles per hour. The problem begins when she takes it to the dealership where she purchased the car new. They were on the preferred list for the insurance company. Prior to the accident, there were no lights on. Everything worked as it should. After the accident, the airbag light came on and the backup screen for the backup camera started not to work occasionally. The body shop had to report to the insurance company what their scanner or computer told them about the airbag light and the function of the backup camera prior to the accident. Because the computer could not tell them exactly when the light came on, etc., the insurance cosmonauts are refusing to pay for the repairs. This is a classic case of who to believe. My girlfriend has had all regular maintenance performed by this dealer and was just in for service one month prior with no lights on. How do you make a case to the insurance companies so they take care of these things? It's extremely frustrating. I have personally had something similar like this and found myself trying to fight the insurance company and gave up after six months. Doug, I'll tell you what, Doug, in your letter, you've got part of the answer. You say that she had had the car in for service one month prior and there were no lights on. If there were lights on, they should have noted it. So I think the benefit of the doubt has to go to the girlfriend, to the vehicle owner here. And the conversation with the insurance company has to be along the lines of, I have hired you, because this is what an insurance policy is. An insurance policy is a service contract. All right. If you go down to the legal nitty gritty of it, it seems that regardless of what state you're in in this country of ours, an insurance policy is a service contract. They are under contract to repair that vehicle back to previous or pre-accident condition. And unless they've got documentation to show and support, they've got to fix it. And it might take a lawyer, which might take some time. It's an insurance company. But I wonder who would defend them against defending them against defending them to yourself. So one thing to keep in mind, how about, hey, guys, let's go find where the problem is. And then depending upon what it is, we'll decide who or what is really at fault. But to ignore it, uh uh-uh, can't do it. I'm Ron Anany and The Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ron and Annie and the car doctor here. You know, when you're the guy on radio, people want to talk to you. I've learned that over the past 25 years. And there's a lot of different things that people want to talk to you about. Sometimes it's related to their car. I was having breakfast at the deli this morning and I'm having a conversation with someone at the counter and 
Roger, one of the regulars at the deli, came in. He wanted me to come outside and see his 1921 Model A, and uh, you know, just wanted to show it to me. It's just, it's that's my life, folks. Well, a couple of months ago, I think it was back midsummer, we received a surprise package at the shop. It was about oh, yay big, and it was different custards in there, and uh, they came to us from David. God, David's from Tipton, Iowa. And he is the owner of David's famous gourmet frozen custard. And it was a really great letter. And I've got to tell you that if you're just tuning into the car doctor, yep, this is the car doctor, and I am Ron Ananian. And this next segment really has nothing to do with cars. It's it's more about what it takes to create a business and the dedication. We just thought it would be fun to talk to somebody outside of the automotive arena and uh, give him a little bit of spotlight time because we think he's earned it. Uh, for the quality of the product that he's put out, and also his story, because it's a great human interest story, and that's the other thing the car doctor and the crew is all about, is is, is the people that make up this great country of ours, this this human interest evolution that we've got going on. David, welcome to the car doctor, sir. Hi, Ron. How are you? All right. So let, let's see. Um, y- y- you're, you're a self-admitted, you're not a car guy, you say. True or false? Well, I like cars. I like cars, but I'm not an, what you would call an enthusiast. Right. So I mean, I, I, there are a lot of cars that I would like to own, but I'm not a. I grew up on a farm, but I'm not a gearhead. Right. Right. So, so you know, how does a car guy come to listen to a car show? Is my first question. Well, I, I travel a lot, especially on weekends doing samples. Right. And so, so I found you on the radio station out of Waterloo, Iowa, KXEL. And I, I was, I mean, I, I enjoy car shows, but some of them are really good, some of them aren't so very really good. But the thing that always struck me about yours was, and you, you always talk a lot about quality, but the thing that always just astounded me was somebody would call up with some screwball question about a, a 2004 Dodge something or other, and you would just know what it was. I, I remember once. Somebody call up about some bizarre thing, and you say, you know, there's a, there's a problem with the starter of those things, and I think it's the purple and white wire. And and then somebody called in about their battery was running down, and you said, you know, it sounds like maybe you need to change your your coolant because that engine has dissimilar metals, and that might be creating a current. And I'm like, man, this guy is he knows everything, wow. which, which nobody nobody knows everything, but. Well, I get you. Well, you know, it's just, thank you, David. And I just, you know, it's just, uh, guess what? They don't let me cut the lawn or, or hold any sharp objects during the week because other than cars, I'm out of luck. So, hey, that's, that's okay. You know, and that's okay. I kind of found my, I, I think I found my niche. I think I've, 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 I've figured out what God wanted me to do while I was here. And you take that, so when you take that and let's segue into it, this box shows up at the office. And it's filled with custard. So how does David, you know, how did David get into the custard business? Well, well, first, the way the box showed up was I'm, I'm driving back from Minneapolis one late one Sunday night where I've been giving samples all weekend, and, and I'm listening to your podcast, and, I, and it dawns on me, you know, Ron talks about quality all the time, and we make the highest quality ice cream in the world. So maybe he'd like to have some quality from us. But how we got started in this was I took my grandma's recipe. This is 15 years ago, and a church cookbook recipe of the church I grew up in, this little town in Iowa, and I put them together. And I still thought, you know, this could be better. So I kind of tweaked it, and I made it better. And then, I don't know, 10, 10, 10, 11 years ago, 
a friend and I went to a local shop five times one summer because we like coffee ice cream. And they had something they called a cup of joe five times, and they were out of it. And the last time the girl said, you know, that's especially, they don't make it that often. And I said, oh, why is it on your menu? And she just kind of shrugged. And it, and it pissed me off. So I went home and I made my own. And everybody who tasted it said, man, this is so good, you should sell it. So then I made Dutch chocolate, and it, man, this is so good, you should sell it. Then I need strawberry, which we don't sell yet, but I'm going to send you some. I want to be, um, I want to be listen, let's cut to the chase. I want to be the test pilot for that. And uh, Tom Ray's got his nose pressed up against the glass. Tom's a strawberry fanatic also. Um, and that's the, you know, that's the unique thing that we, we experienced with the cut. Now, is it custard or ice cream? Let's get this part of the Well, it's, it, it, it's custard, but to be a custard, you have to be ice cream first. Right. The difference between custard and ice cream is the amount of egg yolks. Okay. So to be to be to be ice cream, you have to have ten percent butterfat. We have twenty six percent butterfat, which no one in the ice cream industry thinks you can make. But since I don't come out of the ice cream industry, I don't know any better, right? Right. Then we have we have four percent egg yolk solids, which is two and a half times what you have to have to be a custard. But we do it because we want to make the best. Right. Oh, and it, I got to tell so, you, it it was the best. It was it was really amazing. Um, how smooth and you know the flavor was there and the texture was there and you just you just didn't want to stop eating it which i have to tell you it is on weight watchers right it is how many points is it uh, I'm, I'm listening well, to this and i'm adding up points in my head going uh, um uh but it is it's it's great product it really is and it it, it just kind of turned our heads a little bit well the nice thing is you don't have to eat a lot of it to be satisfied Right. Oh, that's it true. You, it makes yeah. you happy in a hurry. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Happy in a hurry because it did. You, you you felt satisfied. It was really nice on uh, on the on the hot summer nights just to have a little taste and kind of work your way through the container. But oh, thank you. You, you know, but it, I always I always believed that if you if you made the best product or delivered the best service in the world and you did it at a fair price with a reasonable profit, I mean, my theory was you'd be successful. Right. So that's that's what we try to do. For those of you just tuning in, yeah, this is the Car Doctor. We're talking to uh, David Gott from Tipton, Iowa, David's famous gourmet frozen custard. Uh, so you're not crazy. This is a car show, but we're taking a little bit of break from that for uh, something a little different today. David, um, there's a story behind the story about how you got started in ice cream. Would you like to talk about it? Sure. Um, I got tired of everybody saying this is so good we should sell it, so... So I decided, well, yeah, I mean, I'm a stockbroker for 35 years, and I thought, well, you know, that would be fun. A lot better being a stockbroker isn't what you would call fun. But um, my my oldest son is in law school, and he said he wanted to be our lawyer. And, and my, my third son was in the Marine – I'm sorry, he was a submariner, and he kind of sort of wanted to be involved. My second son lived in Savannah, Georgia. He was stationed at Hunter uh, Air Base. So we talked about him having the only shop in the country and then calling on grocery stores on the East Coast. So I thought, well, we should move ahead with this thing. And he moved to Fairbanks, Alaska. And I thought, well, you know, I mean, I'm not in such a big hurry because he's going to be there a while. Well, two and a half years ago, he called me up. And, and this is something that we we thought it would be fun to do someday. Um, he called me up and he and he 
wondering if I would keep his dogs because he was moving back to Savannah to find a place to live. And I said, absolutely. And we got off the phone, and I thought, well, I'm going to have to hurry up with this ice cream thing if he's going back to Savannah. Right. Well, four days later, he died of undiagnosed uh, coronary artery disease. Wow. So I, I knew then that, that I had to do it. Yeah, there's a reason for everything, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I had to do it for my other kids, too, but, you know, they were still here, and so there was no urgency, but, but now there's urgency. So. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. We, started, we, 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 we go through life, and we kind of, we, we, we sort of take some of the things for granted, and then uh, we figure out what it is we need to do, and uh, you got to hurry yeah. up, you got to hurry up and do it, right? Exactly. And we started last year in six stores in Iowa, and now we're in about 225 stores in eight states. Wow. Great, great. Uh, we had to be, we had, we had to build our own plant because everybody in the ice cream business said you can't do what you do. Yeah, well, listen, re- remember, my high school auto shop teacher says I'd never amount to anything in the car business, so I'm just out here proving him wrong every day. Hey, <laughs> D- hey David, is there is there a website? Because I know we're going to get calls from the listenership. Where can they find out more information about David's famous uh, frozen custard? Our our website is davidsfamous.com. Right. Uh, our Facebook page is Facebook dot com slash David's Famous. On Twitter, we're at David's Famous. Um, yeah, find our website, send us an email. Cool. Hey, David, you're famous. We appreciate everything you guys do, and uh, it's great to talk to somebody with such dedication to a craft. And uh, we, we're well, sure. Hopefully, we, we, hopefully, one of these days soon, we'll be uh, on the East Coast. Yeah, you come to New Jersey. We'll uh, we'll help you open the store. We'll do a remote. Yeah, well, uh, Wawa's big in Jersey, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Matter of fact, my daughter loves Wawa. If she finds out we're going to Wawa to open them up for David's Custard, she'll she'll get out of grad school just to come out to the Wawa. That'll be a whole other story. <laughs> so, I, gotta, I look forward to it. All right, you take good care, David. i got to go. The clock's going to take me. I'm Ron and Annie in the car, Doctor. Something just for fun. We're back right after this. Doctor, I want to thank uh, Doug, uh, David Gott from Tipton, Iowa. Once again, David's Famous Gourmet, davidsfamous.com. Um, just a fun conversation, and uh, we're glad to hear there's somebody out there so dedicated to their craft. Let's get over and talk to Doug, Charleston, West Virginia, 2012 Hyundai. You know, Doug, I think I just answered this question as an email. I thought it was such a great topic. Um, I'm glad you called in to talk about it. Let's recount. Tell us a little bit about this uh, 2012 Hyundai and some of the problems you're having. Uh, yes, I Actually, it's my girlfriend's car, but um, about two months ago, she got rear-ended. She was stopped, getting ready to make a turn, and a teenager rear-ended her. He didn't even have time to hit his brakes, Uh, probably going about 30 miles an hour. So anyway, um, she goes to take it to the shop to get it fixed, and of course, um, you know, there's no question about the body damage, but the airbag light came on, and also the backup camera will sudden or will sometimes not. It doesn't work, so it works intermittently. 
And uh, so I came down to the insurance company uh, whether or not to pay for this airbag light uh, to get it fixed. And the insurance company denied it because the computer didn't register when the light came on. So okay, well, wait, let's back up a second. When she got rear-ended, did the airbags deploy in the car? No. At 30 miles an hour? Uh, that's an estimate because the speed limit is 30 miles an hour. Um, and she was at a dead stop making a turn and... The teenager didn't hit his brakes. Uh, I mean, he could have been going 20 miles an hour. But, well, but, I mean, you know, airbags are supposed to deploy any time a collision with an impact over 7 miles an hour. So Yeah, it was definitely over 7 miles an hour. So my point is, if the airbags, none of the airbags in the car deployed, then, then either, I mean, I guess it can happen, but it just seems odd to me. It seems like... And I'm not doubting. I'm not doubting you, Doug. I'm trying to make the argument for why they should repair it. In that, if the airbag didn't deploy, it sounds like the system wasn't working before the accident. You may be right. I mean, she's. It's got. Uh, I think she's got ninety thousand miles on it now, and but she's had all the regular maintenance done, and right. actually done at the dealership right. where she took it back right. to get the. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, Doug, sit tight. Let me pull over and take a pause, but sit, sit right where you are. We'll finish this up when I get back. I'm running Andy in the car, Doctor. We'll be back right after this. We're on the Indian the Car Doctor. We're talking to Doug in Charleston, West Virginia. Doug, you're still there. Yes, sir. 2012 Hyundai. So, you know, part of the conversation is why didn't the airbags deploy? And I guess they can make an argument that that's why they're not covering it because the airbags were not working prior. Remember, anytime an airbag light is on, that means there's a defect in the system and the system won't work. So let's let's play it out that, yeah, you know, your girlfriend's giving us the straight skinny as she remembers it, that the airbag light wasn't on and that they just didn't deploy because sometimes they just don't, depending upon how the impact occurred. But now the backup camera's not working, right? That's, that's correct. That's the other part of this conversation. Has, has anybody, right. you know, the fact that they're saying, well, the co there's codes in the system or there's no codes in the system to support whether it was before or after, scan tools won't do that. You know, if it's a is it a history code or a hard fault? If it's a hard fault, it's present now. But the only way they would know that for sure is if they saw it prior to the accident. And in my opinion, every time I've seen a car go into at least a dealership, if not a competent independent repair shop, you said your girlfriend's car was in there a month prior, and there's yes, no that's there's there's no documentation on her documentation that says airbag light on and backup camera not working. Correct. Right. So, you know, listen, repair shops, if they're nothing else, they're all looking to make a buck. All right? Let's be. Let's all cut to the chase. We all know why we're here. And repair shops are looking for work all the time. And if, if somebody comes into my shop and the airbag light's on, it gets noted on the ticket for two reasons. Number one, I'm trying to sell you, hey, let me fix the airbag. Number two, I'm trying to cover my tail. 
Because if that car comes back in a week and, Ron, my airbag light came on right after you changed the oil. No, it didn't because it's documented right here. It was on when you picked up the car. And it sort of ends right. the argument. So, you know, I think somebody's got to go to the Hyundai dealer and start the conversation there. Hey, guys, if this were you, how does this look to you? Put yourself in my shoes. All right? I'm not trying to be a pain in the neck, but think about it from that perspective. And then ask him to diagnose yep. it. If the problem is a module in the front of the car, well, then I don't think it's accident-related. But if the if the problem is a wire in the rear of the car that got jammed up in the connection or damaged as a result of the accident, now I think you've got a case to go back to the insurance company and talk to them. Always talk from a practical point of knowledge rather than emotion. Talk to them. See what they say and let us know, Doug. I'm sorry the clock's going to take me. I've got to get out of the hour. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. 